0: Uh, this morning's sermon is a continuation of last week's sermon. So, Psalm 130, <coughs> Part Two. And so, if you turn your your Bibles to that passage, these the Book of Psalms is a like a big hymn book in the Bible, and inside this big hymn book is a a smaller hymnal of 15 songs. So, 150 songs it gets reduced down to these 15. And these are the 15 that are on the playlist that you sing as you walk towards Jerusalem for worship. So three times a year, the Israelites would gather together in Jerusalem, and when you're coming to Jerusalem, you're always going up. So these are the songs of ascent as you move towards, away from the world, and towards worship of the Lord. And let's read these verses here together. Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Lord, may you take your word as the guiding light for our souls and cause us to walk in your ways, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week my uh, working illustration was about being on a raft in a river and coming up to white water. And the instructor would tell you if you're in the raft, hey, if you fall out, here's one of the most dangerous positions you can get in, and that is getting stuck in what's called a hydraulic. If you remember that from last week, the the hydraulic is where there's a big rock or boulder in the middle of the river, and the water is coming over in such volume that when it hits the river, it actually spins back on itself, and the water comes back towards the rock, And then, of course, hits the water that's going down, and it creates a spin cycle. And what happens if you're not careful, if you get stuck in a hydraulic, you you can't get enough breath to stay in it, so you eventually drown. You've got to find your way out because it it plunges you back towards the rock, then it plunges you down, and you come back up, and you just have one moment to catch your breath. And if you're in the hydraulic, you're not nobody strong enough just to swim away from it. So something has to happen. Some kind of rescue has to happen. And the psalmist in Psalm 130, he had gotten stuck. He had he had realized he was in a hydraulic. He'd gotten stuck in the spin cycle of life. He was thinking, hey, I can save myself. I've done enough good things that, that I could stand before the Lord. And then he realizes, no, I can't stand. And he has to make some realizations in order to get out of this hydraulic. And the first realization he has to make is... The way out is the way down. This is what the the raft guide would say to you. I know it's counterintuitive, but when you're going through this spin cycle, at some point you've got to take a big deep breath and dive all the way down to the bottom of the river. Now, who wants to dive down when they're drowning? Nobody. But down underneath the spin cycle is what's called an output current, and it shoots you out into the river. And the psalmist realizes, hey, I've got to dive all the way down to the depths of my sin. And down there, once I realize I've got to go down, I realize I don't have any place to stand. That's the second realization he has to make. I don't have any way to rescue myself. I can't do it self-rescue. Nothing in the world that I'm trying to grab hold of or no one in the world that I'm trying to grab hold of can pull me out of this spin cycle. They, they just keep going in this cycle. So I've got to go down. I've got to realize I don't have a place to stand. And then what is he, the third realization? He finds the rescuer down there. It's the title of the sermon last week. The rescuer is below And he goes down, and you can feel it in verse 4. With you, there is forgiveness. In in the Hebrew, it's just three words. With you, forgiveness. It's like the man's broken, the drowning man's broken the surface of the water. He's, (sighs) He's realized something. With you, there is forgiveness. I couldn't possibly do it on my own, but with you, there is forgiveness. Now, he's made these three great realizations And now we want to talk about the results. If you really realize this, your life is going to be reoriented. It's going to change. It's going to result in something. And you see it in verse 4. He says this, But with you there is forgiveness that, or in the NIV, so that, so that you can change. I mean, if you've really made these realizations, something's going to happen to you. You're going to look different. And those three realizations that he makes are in the text. Number one, fear, verse 4. Number two, waiting. Waiting, verse 5. And number three, hope, 5 and 7. So the three, three realizations lead to three results. And let's see what we can learn from the psalmist this morning about these results. First, Fear. Now, verse 4 is really the most unusual verse in the psalm. If you read it carefully, you'd scratch your head and say, hmm, I mean, maybe I have a strange translation. Maybe in the Hebrew it actually means something different than what's written here. I don't really understand what it means. Think about it. But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be... Now, what if there was a blank and you just had to fill it in? With you... There's forgiveness so that you may be praised, so that you may be celebrated, so that you may be loved. That would be what I would fill in. But what does he say? So that you may be feared. Feared. Forgiveness forms a foundation that causes fear to grow out of it. What are we supposed to make of that? Let me first say, what, it's not supposed to, what we're not supposed to conclude. Let me eliminate one possibility from your mind. First of all, we're, we're sure that this fear is not being afraid that somehow after we've been rescued by God, that when we get to the end of our life, he's going to say, yeah, you know what? You really were worse than I thought. No, you're not getting in. And I think a lot of people live that way. They, they trust their lives to God, but then they live the rest of their lives like, oh my gosh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to get in. And they live in that kind of fear. And that's not what the psalmist is asking you to do. And we know that because of what he said. I can't stand. None of his salvation is based on anything that he's done. He hasn't offered anything. So he knows God has graciously forgiven him, and if God has graciously forgiven him out of his own goodness, he knows in the end he's going to stand. He's going to stand. Now, if you're in that place where you live your life in fear that God somehow saved you, but you're going to mess it up, then I want you to hear John 10.10, the words of the Savior, the Redeemer who is below. I give those I rescue eternal life, and they will never perish. Now, in the Greek, you know what never means? Yeah, never, that's what it means. Never. I mean, Jesus is speaking these words. He's trying to help the people say, I'm the rescuer. I'm the one who's gotten down underneath you. I am the one who's full of grace and mercy and rescued you out. You don't have to worry anymore. I'm gonna carry you all the way home. And he finishes his sentence, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. That's that's just great news to the person who's just knees are knocking. They've given their life to Christ every other week because they're afraid that the first time didn't take, and somehow it's some sort of magic thing that you say. It's not. It's Jesus. Jesus is the rescuer. He's not going to let you go. So, so if it's not that kind of fear, then what kind of fear does this forgiveness produce? And Here's what I think the psalmist is trying to say on how we would live with a healthy fear of God. You, you recognize in your, your mind, in your heart, in your soul, you've internalized that God is awesome. God is Powerful. God is holy. And, and this power, this awesomeness, this majesty of God would never cause you to run away from Him, only to Him. You, you come humbly, you come broken because you know your own sin. You know you can't stand. You know that God doesn't somehow owe you anything. In fact, it's quite the, the opposite. He's rescued you from even your own sin. Even you, He's rescued. And so now I owe him everything. The Apostle Paul says, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Trembling. Trembling that I'd ever leave this kind of God. Trembling that I'd trade him in for the spin cycle. Trembling that I'd ever go back to my old ways of thinking that somehow I can rescue myself. I can take care of myself. I'm self-sufficient or this thing that I grab hold of, somehow it's the lifeline out of my life. No, I'm, I'm trembling that I would ever leave this kind of God who would dive down to the depths and save me. Now, it's hard to see this sometimes clearly in the Bible, and so I want to point to one place that's very interesting, Exodus chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles, it's helpful to just turn to Exodus chapter 20. God has led the Israelites out of the spin cycle of slavery, and he's brought them to Mount Sinai where they're going to receive the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20:18. now when all the people saw the thunder, these are all signs of God's presence. When the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of a trumpet, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And Moses said to them, And and they said to Moses, you speak for us. We will listen, but but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Now, now just listen, read carefully. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Don't fear this God. He's coming near you, for God has come to test you. His, His nearness is coming to you so that, what does it say? So that the fear of God may be before you so that you may not sin. You see that? Don't be afraid to come to a God who's going to make you afraid. Don't be afraid of this God. He's coming near you, and the nearness of Him should cause you to be afraid that you'd go anywhere else. Because He knows sin is going to creep back in. Believe it or not, these people who've just been saved from slavery, how many times in the book of Exodus do they say, let's go back to Egypt? You see, so many times we get out of the spin cycle, but then somehow we go, no, I want to get back into it. And and God's trying to say, I'm coming near, near enough that you feel the the thunder, the lightning, the power of God, so that when that temptation comes, you go, you know what, I have a different kind of love now. And yes, I thought you were the savior. I thought I could do it, but I know I can't do that. And and I have something that's worked down into my soul that causes me to make a different choice when I get tempted. Now, there's not a good illustration here. How do you illustrate the the thunderous power of God? And the best I could think of is a uh, long time ago, I trip. I took a trip to the Niagara Falls. Anybody taken? Trip to Niagara Falls. So you go there, and, and when you're standing there, it is, it's is—it's massive, it's thunderous. And if you're lucky enough, you can get a trip, take a trip on the boat. Remember the name of the boat? The Maid of the Mist, right? It doesn't look very big when you get on it compared to the falls. But they take this boat, and the captain, he gets you right near where the water hits down. It's coming 180 feet from above. And when you get there, you got to wear a raincoat because the spray is intense. The sound thunders and it it gets in your bones. It's so loud. It's so powerful. And you're you're afraid. And then when you get off the boat, you go, that was awesome. Let's go again. You want to somehow get back in there because there was something about its power that got into your bones and sort of reshaped, gave you gave you life. That's, that's what this is in Exodus 20. That's what this is for the psalmist. He's trying to say to, to you, I got so close to that power. It, it reshaped my soul. It got all the way in. It wasn't superficial. So that when I get away and sin comes my way, I have some echo over here that's constantly keeping me close to God, that I wouldn't be tempted, I'd be afraid to walk away towards those old habits because of what God has done. Theologian David Wells says this, one of the defining marks of our time, he's, a, he's currently alive, is that God is now weightless. He has become unimportant. He rests upon our world so inconsequentially as to not even be noticed. Those who, th- those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God uh, may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television, his commands less authoritative, authoritative than their appetites for affluence, his judgment no more awe inspiring than the evening news. That's weightlessness. If you've had a life-transforming encounter with Christ, he's a weight. And it shapes and shakes your life. And if God rests almost weightlessly on your everyday decisions, weightlessly on how you live your life, then you're probably still in the spin cycle. You've never really gotten out. You've never really dived down to the depths. You've never really said, I can't stand One tangible result of realizing God's power is that He's weighty. That weightness comes out in a a healthy fear of the Lord. Second thing, the psalmist, uh, uh, the second result for the psalmist is in verse third in uh, Psalm 130, is waiting. See that? I wait. Wait. What do you feel like when you hear that word? Paul, that's a four-letter word to me now. I I put that in that category of words I never want to hear. I never want to (laughs) say. Waiting. Waiting. Is that like nails on a chalkboard? Like, oh, I don't want to hear the word waiting. I've been waiting, Paul. I, I can't take any more waiting. I've been waiting since the middle of March for things to return to normal. I've been waiting for schools to reopen, and now they're not. I've been waiting to see if I can have a normal wedding. I've been waiting to see if a hurricane is going to hit Wilmington. I can't wait anymore. I don't know if you felt that tension in you. That tension just in the culture. It feels like a a balloon that's been blown up just a little bit too tightly. That if even just the slightest little hangnail comes across, pow, you explode. The people explode cuz it's just so much tension of waiting. And here the psalmist offers help. There's something profound that's happened in his encounter with God. He's, he stood close enough to the power. He took his boat right up to the edge of God's majesty. And, and it's overwhelmed him so that, first of all, he has no more need to personally be in control of all things. You hear that? That's what some of us need to hear today. It's not that you don't have to do things. I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm just saying you don't have to say, I'm taking personal control of everything that happens. No, no, the psalmist has moved away from that. He's moved away from the belief that he, he always was right, that somehow his opinion was the right opinion. No, he's moved away from that. He's, he's waiting on another opinion. And in the best way possible, his encounter with God made him feel small. Not insignificant, but just rightly small. He got reoriented by being with God. It Reminds me a little bit of Job. Job comes and he has, uh, he, he, it's the oldest book in the Bible with the oldest questions in the Bible. Why do I suffer and why do I have to wait on God? Those are the questions that almost everybody wrestles with in some way or another. And Job complains basically for 35 chapters and then God shows up in verse 30, in chapter 38. And what's fascinating about God's response is God doesn't answer any of Job's questions. Not even one. Instead, what he does is he peels back the layer of his divinity so Job can just get one little sneak peek of the power of God. And when he does, Job responds by, like this, Behold, I am a small account. I put my hand over my mouth. I'm, I'm sorry I was complaining. I'm sorry that I thought I knew how to run the world better than you did. I'm not going to say those things anymore. I got reoriented because I got close to this thunderous waterfall of God's power. And I love the imagery the psalmist chooses for Psalm 130 and then again in 131. First of all, I wait like a watchman for the morning. Now, what does a watchman do? You're a night watchman. What do you do? Yeah, not much, right? I mean, you can't think of anything. You just stand there. You wait. You're standing on the wall. You're waiting for the sun to rise. You just wait. You don't. Push and say, Well, I can rotate the earth a little bit faster if I push real hard. No. The earth's going to rotate. It's going to take its time. And one time, the sun's going to break the horizon. And the watchman trusts that even though it's dark, God is operating. You hear that? Even though it's dark right now, God is operating. And you don't have to push. You can trust that God is operating right now for your good. And you, you can be a watchman who waits. I just wait for the morning. The second picture he gives in Psalm 131, I, I love this little song. Very short little song, worth memorizing. He says this, "O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. In other words, I, I, I used to think too much of my own opinion, but I was consumed by things that were outside of my control. I'm not occupying myself with things that are too marvelous. Instead, what does he say? I'm like a a weaned child. A weaned child. You know what a weaned child is? A child that's unweaned. When he's hungry, what does he do? He cries. Hey, I'm hungry, I only know how to cry, and that gets the attention. A wean child says, you know what, I can just sit right next to my mom and I can trust that when I need something, she's going to supply it. I don't have to cry, I don't have to complain anymore. I hope even if it's just for a few minutes, you start your morning... By finding some place to sit quietly and just imagine yourself as a wean child. And even in your prayers, that your prayers wouldn't be like a complaint session. You'd just be a weaned child to say, God, you know everything that's going on in my life right now. You know all the things that create hungers, all desires, all fears, all anxieties. And you're going to answer them in your time and I'm just gonna sit quietly and rest in your power, in your ability, in your presence. If I handed out a little piece of paper right now and asked you to draw a picture of the state of your soul, what, what would it look like? Would you draw a watchman on a tower? Would you draw a weaned child? Would you draw a hurricane? (laughs) What would be the picture? See, the psalmist wants us to know, God wants us to know, I'm in charge. I have you in my hands. I know everything that you know about you, and I know everything you don't yet know about you. And I'm bringing everything to bear at just the right time, like the sun breaking the horizon, and all you have to do is rest and know that I'm in control. Being next to this power causes the, the psalmist results in, "I'm waiting. I'm willing to wait. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week and was talking about technology and the current pace of information and interconnectedness. This guy was talking about how now we're connected to everybody and the number of people you're expected to somehow keep up with or care about or befriend on your social media account or other ways you socialize. The information that comes at you, whether it's about COVID or politics or sports or a hurricane or entertainment, and and you add to that, you're you're constantly subjected to all of the world's disasters because of the news cycle. Oh, you can't believe what's happening in Singapore. You can't believe what's happening in China. You can't believe the fires in Australia. You can't believe what's happening on the west coast. You can't believe what's happening in Europe. You, and you just you get all this information. And this is what he says, the human soul was never designed to live like this. Most people's current pace is brutal on their soul. And he said, you know, if you're under 30, the life you live, is not normal. Every human being before until right now lived in a totally different way. And just right now, For the last few years, we're like all in this little Petri dish, like an experiment. And because of technology, all this has come rushing on your soul. And he's saying the soul wasn't built to have that much concern and care for every possible person. Most of us live at an unsustainable pace for a healthy soul. And the psalmist wants us to realize... Can be like a winged child. You don't have to hold everything. Hope. Briefly. See it in verse 5 and verse 7. What does he hope in? My hope is now in the word. And in his word I hope. Verse 5. Verse 7. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Now he's telling other people, hope. Hope in the Lord, he's shifted his weight completely away from the world's word. He's completely shifted his weight away from his own word to, to now all of his weight is on God's word, God's word. If you're building a house, there's called, inside the house, there's called load-bearing walls. This is the, the weight of the house comes down on the house and certain walls, you just can't just take them out. Because they're load-bearing it. They take the weight of the roof and they transfer it down to the foundation. And now his load-bearing wall is the word of God. It's not my word. It's not somebody else's word. It's not a book that I read. It's not a professor. It's God's word. This bears all the weight a soul can bear. Easily. But you, me, we might have a different load bearing wall. And some of us, the waiting has just crushed us. Because we were used to being able to decide and be in control and make decisions. And now we found out we really had a lot of weight on non load bearing walls, and we've gotten crushed. So my hope, my prayer, for me, something I struggle with for you is that you would read Psalm 130. You would, you would make these realizations. Because if you don't make the realizations, the results aren't going to happen. If you somehow think you can stand, you can be in control, your voice should win out, you're, you're going to be in a spin cycle. But when you do, the results are really Glorious. I can trust God. I can hope in him. I can wait for him. I can give myself to his word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for just a few minutes to be together. To sing, to lift our voice of lamentation. Maybe that's what some of us have done today, just to cry out. Maybe we're still in verse 1. i just, I'm just crying out, hoping there's a rescuer here. But Lord, help us to realize who you really are, your power, your, your presence, your reality that we would tremble to leave this room and, and try to grasp back hold of things that you're asking us to let go of, that we would wait and that we would hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.